every Palm Sunday, I'm reminded uh, by just this memory in the back of my head. It's almost like a fever dream, like it didn't really happen. Uh, But I have this memory of when I was maybe eight or nine years old, I played Jesus in what I can only describe as like a skit on Palm Sunday, uh, which doesn't really make sense because Palm Sunday, if you're not familiar, is a very different thing. It's not really a, a play. Uh, And so what happened is I remember just standing outside of the church building, probably picked because I was the first one there or something. It certainly wasn't because I was the right person to be Jesus. Um, And standing next to this real donkey and and hiking up my jeans and putting on a robe so I would really look the part and then hopping on the donkey and my robe promptly raised up to my waist because I'm a nine-year-old boy that just hopped on a donkey. So I've got jeans to my knees, uh, robe to my waist, and I start riding down the sidewalk while, you know, the guy's leading the donkey because I have no idea how to ride a horse or a donkey, uh, riding down the sidewalk to this crowd of people that have come to the service. And down each side, they've got these palm fronds, just these strips of, of green leaves that they're waving, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And I'm just nine-year-old loving it. Um, and if you're new to church, you're thinking, what the heck is this guy talking about? Uh, palm Sunday is a really special occasion. And what it marks is the final week of Jesus' life and ministry. And it's this image, this picture, that we, this story that we get in his life where he's entering into Jerusalem during the Passover. It's a season when uh, as much as a million people would, would come from all kinds of uh, parts of Israel to be in the city of Jerusalem where the temple was, to worship and to make sacrifices and to bring glory to God and, and to ask for his forgiveness and his mercy. And so you have these crowds gathering for this special season of worship, but this is also the final week of Jesus's life. And as, as we head through the week, we head into the cross. And so Palm Sunday marks the beginning of this, and, and it's this story, this imagery that as he's entering in Jerusalem, these crowds start to line the streets, and they're doing exactly what I just described. They're laying palm fronds down as he rides a donkey into the city, and the donkey can walk over them almost like a victorious king. And they're, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which means save us, save us. And so these crowds have gathered looking for salvation from Jesus. And some of them, they've heard the stories. They've seen the miracles. They, they're looking for, for someone to rescue them. And maybe they have physical ailments. They want him to heal them. Or maybe they're suffering from poverty. They want him to interject his power and, and to take his throne and, and to overthrow the Romans and to give them salvation and hope. Or maybe it's just they're coming and seeing. They've heard about Jesus. They've heard he teaches some wild things. They've seen the crowds gather in other towns. And now as he enters into Jerusalem, what's he going to do next? And at the same time, there's critics in the shadows. People in the city doubting that Jesus would ever do anything. Doubting that he could do much more than a magician with some parlor tricks and a guy who can gather a crowd. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Savior. No, they need a Savior. They recognize that, but it's not Jesus. And the reality is, is when we go through the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life, we see these two groups of people, the crowds that gather to hear and to see, and the critics that continue to push back against the things he says and the things that he does. And what they agree on is that Whether it's Jesus or not, they're in desperate need of a savior. They're in desperate need of the Messiah, God's anointed one to come and to rescue them. I think our world today is still in desperate need of a savior. I think people today are still crying out for salvation. Now some of us look at politics, 
right? If this party just had more power, if this party just had more authority, if they would make these key things part of their platform, and then we would have this politician as president, and this politician in Congress, and this politician as governor, and then we would start to see the progress we're really looking for in our country. Or maybe if it's not going to happen in my state, this state really seems to have it better, so I'm just going to pack up and move to that state. They've got things worked out way, the way that they're supposed to be. Maybe if it's not politics and economics or in our careers, you know, if the interest rates would just move like this and the stock market would just rebound a little bit. And if, you know, if my manager would just understand the gifts and the skills that I have, if they could just see how hard I've worked in my career and I've still got time ahead so I can still make progress. And if I could just see these things lined up, then, then life would be the way it's supposed to be. And maybe it's in health and beauty trying every supplement after supplement, diet craze after diet craze, trying to to look at the person in the mirror and see the one that I really want to see, to have the physique that I desire, to have the, the shape of my face, even to seek after surgery after surgery, to try to alter or to maintain, to just get back to my youth, to, to see the health that I really want to see, the beauty that I wish I always had. If I just had these things in my life, then I would be satisfied. Then I would be content. Then, then I would be happy. I'm not even saying that any of these things are inherently bad, but what I am saying is that none of them actually save us. Political power doesn't last. Wealth doesn't last. Health doesn't last. Putting all of our hope in these things doesn't save us. Sometimes a, a candidate might make some changes that we appreciate or that we, that we are excited about, and then they make mistakes. They say things that we don't like that they said. They make decisions that weren't exactly how we would have liked them to make those decisions, and they fail us. Sometimes our career path is on the right trajectory, and we get the promotion, and we get the new job, and we get the, the career that we really wanted and that we worked so hard for in school, and then something happens and someone else gets the promotion that we really wanted. Or we find out that we don't make as much money as someone else in the same position. Or we realize that the money itself just really isn't enough. I could use more. One more trip. And then health. We exercise, we diet, we work as hard as we can to preserve our health. And then it just fades away. And if we're lucky, it fades away in old age. And if we're not, it fades away like we never even knew it would come and hits us like a truck. None of it lasts. It can't save us. And yet our, our society, our culture, our friends, our family members, our coworkers are begging for salvation. That's why people are so angry on social media. They want hope. They want help. That's why we feel so much anxiety because we want hope. We want help. We are in need of a savior. That's why Paul wrote to the Colossians. We've been going through this book and he begins to outline the character and the nature of who Jesus is. And he continues to build his argument chapter after chapter, lifting him up from a lowly rabbi who died on a cross to a king in heaven who brings salvation to all who believe in him. The God who created all things and holds all things together. This is Jesus. 
This is our savior. This is whom we worship. This is why we gathered. This is why we have kids sing and bands sing and we sing and do motions that I still don't know how to do. (laughs) Because Jesus is the savior that we need. He is the savior that our hearts long for. He is the hope that we desperately want. He holds it all together. That's what Paul wants us to remember in this book. And so in chapter four, he gives us his final instructions after telling us how to live in light of that and giving some instructions about our relationships with others in that. In verse two, he says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul closes his letter with these final instructions. And the first command in it, the first, uh, uh, the first thing that we're supposed to respond with is prayer. Steadfastly isn't a word we use very often, but the the Bible, the the New Testament at least, was written in Greek originally, and one of the ways that we could translate that word is to be devoted to prayer, to be committed to prayer. What we see in the life of Jesus is that he was devoted to taking moments of prayer. Often he'd have large gatherings where he performs some, some miraculous thing, or he has this event where he's taught a huge group of people, or maybe both, and then he sneaks away. For quiet time with his heavenly father in prayer, in preparation for something like that, in preparation for large things, in preparations for small things, he takes time for prayer. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before uh, Good Friday, what we're going to celebrate, the de- his death on the cross, Jesus focuses to seek God's will in prayer. And in the same way, Paul does uh, a, a similar commitment of prayer. In the beginning of a lot of his letters, he's, he's constantly reminding the churches that he's writing to, I've been praying for you. I remember you daily in my prayers. I'm on my knees pleading for God for you. I remember you in my prayer. There is this commitment to prayer in the ministry of the gospel that Jesus starts and that his disciples along with them follow and that he, Paul now is urging us to stay committed to as well to be devoted to turning to God in prayer. And that we should stay focused in that. Right? He, the way he puts it is, uh, in the scripture, it's being watchful. Pay attention. See, I think what happens is that sometimes if we're, pray, if we're praying, uh, we can be flippant. What I mean by that is, and maybe this is just me, it's a confession, you guys could take it as a confession for me, and if it's for you, Great. If it's not, I'll just confess. Um, I think it's really easy for us to be a prayer and say, Jesus, thanks. Could you give me this? Amen. Right? That, that's kind of the structure of how we pray a lot of times. That's how I pray a lot of times, honestly. Like, Jesus, you're great. Uh, I really need this in my life. This would make me happy, or this would make me satisfied, or this is just like a, a thing that I really want. Amen. Jesus, could you give me this and this? Amen. Jesus, This, this, and this. Amen. 
And the reality is, is not only are we flippant by just going to God and asking for what we want, but the other side of it is, I realize I don't really reflect on what he's done to answer those prayers. So many times I, I hear about someone in the hospital or, or, or someone who who's has a need and this family is struggling, this individual is struggling, and, and I go to God in prayer and I say, God, would you please provide for these families' needs? Would you provide for their food? Would, would you help him get a new job? Would you be uh, impacting these person's lives in this way that they really need God? But then I just kind of move on. I forget the fact that he's He's working and active in each of their lives. And, and honestly, maybe this is just, a, I'm a bad pastor, but like I forget that God is going to answer those prayers because there's someone else that I'm praying for next and then something else that I'm praying for next. And then again, like, and in my own life, and, and it's, I forget to look back and see how God is weaving all of these things together in our ministry as a church and in individuals' lives. And what Paul is saying is to pay attention. Look at what God has already done. Look at all of these things as he's weaving them together. Recognize as you go to him in prayer, have thanksgiving. Express gratitude. Remember what he has already done. You're not going to, uh, going to God in prayer flippantly and, and forgetting that he is powerful and forgetting that he is at work. You're going to God remembering that he is the God who brought you out of Egypt. He is the God that brought you into salvation. He is the God that has provided for you. He is the God that has worked in you. He is the God that has transformed you. And he has done so in your families or among your friends, in your city, in your church, in this world. And throughout history, you're, you're praying to a God who works. You're praying to a God who is active and living. You're praying to a God who answers prayers. Remember that. and Be grateful for that. Grateful for his love. See, the reality is, is that what we pray for reveals our hearts to God and to us. If we can get ourselves to be honest in prayer with God, we can begin to recognize our fears. God, I just, I don't know why, but I am so anxious about this candidate, this career path, this bill, this change in my life that I wasn't planning for, but now I have to, have to deal with it. God, what am I supposed to do? We can reveal our fears. We can reveal our needs to God. And, and God, I just, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't know how I make ends meet ever. God, I, don't, I, I think I make enough money, but I just, I'm so bad with money, God. I don't know why I can't be more disciplined. God, I just, I don't have any hope. I just feel like constant despair, constant grief, constant Depression. See, we can begin to reveal our hearts to God when we're honest with ourselves in prayer. It's the example that Jesus shows in that Garden of Gethsemane. It's the example that Paul shows in this letter and many others when he's, he's revealing what he's praying for. reality is, is that not only can we reveal our hearts, but we could shape our hearts with prayer. And this is what Paul's point is here, is that what we pray for begins to, to impact the way that we experience and understand who God is. So it's not just revealing our desires, our wants, our, our, our hopes, but doing so with the confidence of understanding who the God is that we're praying to about those things. I, uh, I'll just give you an example of what I mean by that. Uh, I had a pickup truck, like old Toyota pickup truck when Lauren and I got married. Uh, I had it since I was 16. So like it was old when I got it uh, and it had like 300,000 miles when we were about two years into our marriage and eventually it just kind of died, right? Understandably, uh, Toyotas are great, but they don't last forever. Um, and I would love to have a truck again. 
See, when we, when we made the decision to get a new car after I didn't have a choice to keep the truck, um, I ended up driving like an 05 Corolla a lot of times. Nothing against the Corolla, if you love it, it's great. It's just, it's not a truck. Can't take a Corolla off-road. We've tried, shouldn't have done it. <laughs> but I would love a truck. And every once in a while, in my flesh, I pray to God, like, if I just had like a pickup truck, God, like... <laughs> I'll just be honest, right? Like, I just, like, if I had a truck, and I'll start to justify it. It sounds good this way. Like, God, if I had a truck, I just, you know, I want to be a good husband and a good dad. And, like, I could take my family camping. Lauren would love to go camping. And I've got a two-year-old son. He'd love to go out into the forest. And, you know, if I just had a truck, like, I could help people move. I mean, not everybody, but, like, some people. And, and I could start to justify it. And the reality is I'm just justifying my like lust or whatever after having like a coveting a truck. But on the flip side, if I just start to pray to God, like God, you know, I, I really do want to be a good dad and I do want to be a good husband and I do want to be helpful to people. Like maybe God will give me a truck, but the problem is if I'm just praying for the truck, <laughs> then all I care about is getting the truck. But if down the road one day, like I get a truck, don't judge me if I end up with a truck, guys. But like... <laughs> But like down the road, if I'm praying for the right things, my heart is ready. Like I will help people move or I will take my family camping or I will never get a truck and I'll be satisfied. Like that's the point, right? It, it shapes our hearts. So it reveals our hearts to God, but then God works in our hearts as we are praying for these things. And so what we pray shapes the way that we uh, understand and, ex- and experience this reality. That's why we need to stay focused. That's why we need to be diligent. That's why we need to be grateful and express that gratitude, understand like, you know what? I'm grateful for an 05 Corolla. I'm grateful because uh, my wife's grandfather put some money aside that helped to pay for that Corolla eventually. Like that was not in his mind, but then he passed away one day and, and, and left that to her. And she was able to pay for a car and, and drive it for quite a while. And we still drive that today. Like that's a huge blessing to our family because someone years before was able to just think, you know, I want to care for my family for generations. But if I just think about myself, if I just think about like four wheel drive, like I miss that. I miss what God has done. I miss how he's provided. And I miss what he might do in the future because I'm not thinking about in light of what God is doing. I'm thinking about what I want. It's not saying I can't pray for a truck, but I have to be open to the fact that God might change my heart about that. Right? Paul is saying that he wants us to, to go to God diligently, uh, consistently, devotedly in prayer, but to do so with, with focus and gratitude. So what does he want us to pray for? Right? I, mean, I mean, Paul is, is in prison. He's written this letter to the Colossians. He tells them to, to be devoted to prayer, to stay focused, to, to recognize the things that God has already done. And now is the time for Paul to say, hey, look, you guys have been amazing. I am so excited about what he's done in your life. Like, look at who Jesus is. He is amazing. I want you to live according to, that, uh, according to his will. I want you to do these things in this way, in your families, in your homes, in your city. And now I just want to remind you, I'm in prison. Like, I need this, and clothes, and food, and shelter, and like, it would be really great if you could just send some people my way and just take care of me. But that's not what he does. Okay, well, maybe he's just, if you could just pray for me to like be encouraged and to find relationships that are supportive to me, and and if I could just, I'm really struggling with kind of being lonely in prison, and so if you could just pray for me to not have those experiences, not have those difficult and challenging emotions, not to be angry with God because I'm trying to do his work and he's put me in jail. 
But that's also not what he does. What does he do? Look back again at verse 3. I know, we're one verse in. It's okay. At the same time, pray also for us that God, made open, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. That's the gospel, the good news. On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul says that you should go to God continuously, committedly, devotedly, devoutly praying to him and to pray that I would have more opportunities for the gospel. This is the thrust of the passage, that if, that if we're devoted to God, that we're coming to him. This is Jesus, right? Jesus, who holds all things together. He's the one whose—the earth is his footstool. He's the one whose image that we bear. He's the one who put uh, salvation for us and whom uh, Paul has spent three chapters describing why we should worship him. To go to him in prayer, to see his authority, to see his power, to see his glory, and that we should go to him for more opportunities for Paul— who's in prison, who has nothing, to be able to share the gospel more, which is why he's in prison. Just pray that more people would know Jesus. Just pray that more people would hear the message that I have come to proclaim. Just pray that as I'm sitting in this cell, even the other prisoners or the guards or whoever it is that walks by would hear as I share about the love of Jesus. Pray that their hearts would be transformed. Pray that they have ears to ear. Pray that their lives would be impacted like my life was impacted. That's what Paul asked them to pray for. It's not food. It's not shelter. It's not care. It's not friendship. It's nothing of this world. It's Jesus. And that others would know him. Paul is well aware of the fact that every single person in this world is desperately seeking salvation. They're desperately seeking hope. And as people of the church, we have that hope. We're the body of Christ. Our hope is in him. Our salvation is in him. We are confident in his power and his glory and his mercy and his love. We say love moves all the time because of that. Because he came into this earth, entering into our own mess and muck to bring us peace and wash us clean with his blood. So we have hope. We have salvation. And so while the world is desperate for a savior, we should be desperate for people to hear the message of Jesus. Right? That's, that's the big idea today. That's what I want you to take away. Right? We should be desperate for people to hear the message of Jesus. Even Paul in prison is praying that the Colossians would focus on that. Not on his needs, not on his wants, but on the needs of others and the mission of the church. And then in verse five, I'll follow back up. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, Paul isn't just saying to pray for him. Now he's transitioning and recognizing that as Prayer prepares our hearts and the scriptures prepare our minds. We too should be recognizing the mission that we've been given with the gospel. We too have a role to play in continuing to share the message of Jesus outward. 
That as our lives and our hearts and our minds are transformed, as we have been impacted by Jesus, as we recognize that we have a Savior, we should want others to hear that. And it's not just Paul or Pastor Tim. It's you. It's it's a message that each and every single one of us that have put our faith in Jesus has has an opportunity, maybe even a compulsion to share. Because Christ's love has powerfully impacted us, we want others to be impacted in a similar way. Because as we build on that firm foundation, we want others to have a foundation firm as well. Because as we recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest truly is the declaration to him, Lord, save us. We want others to know that they could cry out to him too. That is what Paul wants us to do. Now, these two verses are interesting to me because there's a couple of things that we're going to take away in just the last few minutes. The first is this. Paul assumes that people in Colossae, Colossi, whatever you hear, um, that the church of the Colossians are around people who don't believe Jesus, right? They're around people who don't know the gospel. They're around people who don't believe that it's true. Uh, they're around people who don't understand what it means. Uh, they're around people who've never heard it, right? That's the assumption he's making right here. Walk humbly among outsiders. Outsiders meaning unbelievers, people who aren't a part of the church, people who just don't believe the gospel, And so the first thing that I recognize for us is that we need to make sure that we have interactions, relationships, and and just honestly opportunities with people who don't know Jesus because it's part of the mission that God has called us to. And for some of us, that's our neighbors, right? The people we live next door to, we wave to when we're mowing our lawns or, uh, you know, our our dogs play together, our kids play together, our dogs bark at their kids or whatever it is. Like, these are the opportunities that we have because the people around us don't know Jesus and we want them, right? We're desperate for them to know Jesus. Jesus. And the second is this, when we have opportunities through these relationships, right, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, even just our friends, we're ready to share about the message of Jesus. This doesn't have to be this dissertation. In fact, it, in fact, it really shouldn't be, right? It, it shouldn't be a speech. Like, what I'm doing right now, this is not what you guys should be doing on your front lawns. Please. <laughs> like, I don't do this at home either. I mean, sometimes to Lauren, but she just says, that's your preacher voice, and I, I tone it down. Like, like what, what I'm saying is that we should be ready just to share about what Jesus has done in our lives. I think we overcomplicate the fact that Jesus has had an impact on, on who we are, and what we try to do is have all of the answers to all of the questions that nobody's asking. I mean, we have questions, and we have doubts, and we have concerns, and we want to know the like, minute detail of this scripture, but guess what? Your neighbor doesn't care about that. They're trying to go to Hawaii, or pay their bills, or save enough for retirement, or get their kid into high school, or whatever normal, functional concern that they have in their lives. And if they have a way to understand that who Jesus is is going to impact that, that's your in. It's not a speech. It's not a political platform. It's Jesus. It's hope. It's rescue. It's peace. It's salvation. That's the message that we're trying to share. That's the hope that we're trying to give. It's in him. It's nothing in this world. It's in the one who created the world. It's in the one who holds it all together. It's in the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in Jesus. So here's what we could be doing this week. This is an opportune time for each of us this week. 
We could be praying for those people that we know who don't know him. Right? I mean, I mean by name. I mean, that neighbor who stole your lawnmower or like that classmate who cheated on you, cheat, no, maybe, maybe cheated on you. <laughs> sorry if that was a prophetic word to somebody out there. It's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was a youth pastor. I'll, I'll move on. Um, Right, that cheated on your, your exam. Um, maybe you cheated on your exam. We'll work about that later too. God, youth pastor, sorry. Um, right, it's the message of Jesus. It's the hope that we have in him. And so it's the people around you. We're going to pray for them by name. Right, like I live, I grew up in this area. I went to Sunny Slope High School. Like I know a lot of people in this area. And so for me to come back to this campus, like just going out to lunch and stuff, like I run into people all the time that I knew that I haven't seen in a while. They didn't know Pastor AC. They knew like 14-year-old AC, 17-year-old AC. That's a very different AC. And honestly, the only time that I regret like talking to them is like when I don't talk about what I'm really experiencing in my life right now. Right? Like, they're not asking me questions about, like, hey, so, like, when Jesus was born, but, like, was it really a virgin birth? Like, what is, I don't know how that works. No, they're asking me, like, hey, how's life? And I could just share, like, you know what? Like, I've got some really exciting things in my life. Like, some of you know this, but, like, my wife's pregnant right now. Um, yeah. Um, like, we're, we're really excited about that, and I can share that, and uh, I can be really proud of, like, Lauren works, and so she, she's had a really cool opportunities with her job, and so I can be really proud to share that, and uh, our son is growing and, and doing great, and I can do all those things and kind of move on. You know, it's nice to see you. We'll see you later. And not to take the opportunity to say, you know, there's this really exciting thing in my life. Like, my focus is really to help others understand who Jesus is. Like, I'm a pastor, and I fail at doing that sometimes. Right? Like I, I go to like coffee shops and they're like, oh yeah, what do you do? I'm like, he's an architect and she does this and they do that. Like, oh yeah, like I like work at a church. <laughs> Can I just get my mocha? <laughs> the reality is, is that we live in a culture that, that honestly isn't that antagonistic. It's more just apathetic. I think we have this fear that we're going to be ridiculed and judged so often for our faith, but the reality is people just don't care, at least not in Phoenix. Like, I, I grew up here. People are more interested to know than, than you think they are. But they're not going to ask. You may run into some, some ridicule. You may run into people making fun of you. You may, you may have some, like, awkward conversations at work, but the reality is it's, you're not going to get imprisoned like Paul and that didn't stop him. It spurred him on. So we have an opportunity this week to be praying for the ways that we can plant those seeds and to let people know what Jesus has done in our lives. And a really easy way to just start that conversation is to invite them to join us next Sunday. Right, come and see. They're going to hear testimonies from people getting baptized where they're going to share what Jesus has done and how he's transformed their hearts and how he's changed the way that they see the world and how he's impacted their lives. From, from younger kids to older, older uh, adults, we're, we're going to have opportunity to baptize people and celebrate this new life. That's a testimony to whoever joins us. So I want to encourage you that as we step out of this room, let, let's do that. Let's invite people to join us and to see that, to experience that for themselves. That's what Paul is praying for. That's what I'm praying for. Let's close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for our kids who are willing to stand up in front and bear witness to your mercy and your grace and your goodness and your love. God, I praise you for uh, the volunteers that were willing to share and, and teach and instruct and disciple them, God. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we've studied your word, that you would compel us to bring uh, a voice resounding in worship this morning, Father, to, to press us out and into the mission of the church, to share your gospel with our neighbors, with our, our coworkers and our classmates and our friends, and just honestly, anybody who will listen because of the way that you've impacted our lives. God, I ask that as we prepare for next Sunday, that you are preparing hearts to hear the gospel, ears to hear the gospel, even for the first time, Father, that you be with Tim as he prepares his messages for Friday and Sunday, God, that you be with uh, the bands as they prepare the messages that they will sing, God, as you prepare uh, the hearts and the words of those who will bear testimony in their baptisms, Father, we praise you uh, for the opportunity it is this year and each and every year at Easter to bring people who do not know to bring those outsiders, those unbelievers, those people who are not a part of the church to come and see that you transform lives, that you give us hope and peace and salvation as we truly need it, Father, that you are the one that holds it all together, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.